Good morning, Crosspoint. Good to see you all here today. I don't suppose anyone here lost power, did you? Well, I live an hour south of here, and we lost power yesterday at five minutes of four in the afternoon. So if I look a little scruffier than normal, it's because I didn't get the shower. And uh, power was still off this morning when we, uh, when we got up. But we're just glad to be here and worship with you today. We really are counting on, as you've heard mentioned already, Saturday evening service starts this Saturday. And we're really counting on some of you 9 o'clockers, and I'll tell the 11 o'clockers this too, but uh, we, we're counting on 9 o'clockers and 11 o'clockers to make Saturday evening their service, thus freeing up seats when people who come to church for the first time are most likely to come, which probably isn't Saturday at 6, probably Sunday at 11. So we hope maybe you'll consider Saturday, Saturday evening at 6. Maybe uh, all of you would realize this, but it needs to be mentioned once in a while. There's a lot more to making cross point go than what you see up front. Right? Sometimes we give... Too much credit to the upfronters and not enough to so many hard workers behind the scenes. And I want to highlight uh, this morning uh, Joy Cummings and her team who went over into that kitchen. It's been a couple of weeks ago now and cleaned the kitchen. And Now listen, when I say clean the kitchen, I'm not talking about a half an hour job. Every dish out of every cupboard washed and put back in, floors and after the dishes wrote, everything is, I mean, an overhaul. It was a day job. And so some of that team is here. That would be Joy and Sally Hatfield and Debbie Simons and Wanda Scriver. At least, Debbie, you're here. Would you stand? We just want to give, stand up. Do what I say. That was the, that was the weakest stand-up I've ever seen, maybe, but... They're just, they're just times we ought to give credit to those who work so very hard behind the scenes so very often. And so we thank you, Debbie, Joy, Sally, Wanda, and we'll mention, maybe we'll pick up the others in the 11 o'clock service this morning. I know small groups have been mentioned, but I hope you're excited. We really believe, really believe you cannot grow as a believer like you need to grow unless you connect with a small group. And so we're hoping as many of you, we'd like for all of you, we'll find a small group if everyone here should sign up and say, yes, I want to be part of a small group through the week. It's beginning in October, we'll have more to say about that. This is the last sermon in the series of foundational truths. And so this morning, I want to talk to you. We've already had, it's been on the screen. You've seen the truth. It's so familiar to you, I'm sure. Is Jesus coming back again? Is he really coming back? Father, speak to us now. I pray as we look now to your word, make this truth come alive to us as it was to the believers in those early days who longed for and looked for your return. Speak to us all. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, you, can, you cannot always believe everything you read in the newspapers. Sometimes you can't even believe the headlines. 
some headlines that you read are really absolutely astounding. Now here, I'm going to read some headlines to you. These ones actually made the front page. No kidding. Here's one. Experts say jet crashed because something went wrong. <laughs> yeah, I guess probably something did. Here's another. Crash probe decides plane was too close to the ground. Another. Miners refuse to work after death. Uh, I'm not going to either. Once, once I'm dead, no more work for me. Here's another. Cold wave linked to falling temperatures. I guess that would make sense, right? How about this one? Typhoon rips through cemetery. Hundreds of bodies found. I guess. Now, what's unbelievable about those headlines is that they made it by a proofreader or two or three. Credible, isn't it? But let me ask you this morning, if this headline appeared, would people find it believable? Jesus is coming again. Is he coming back? On the night before he was crucified, we find it in John chapter 14, Jesus speaking to his disciples said these words, I am going to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I will come back and get you. He said he was coming back. Then in the fifth book of the New Testament, that would be the book of Acts, chapter one tells us of the day Jesus left the planet. It happened on a hill outside the city of Jerusalem just Jesus and his disciples were there. And the Acts 1 tells us that he was taken up into the sky while they were standing there watching, and he disappeared into a cloud. Then two angels appeared and said, Why are you standing here staring into the sky? Jesus has been taken away from you into heaven, and someday... Just as you saw him go, he will return. The angels announced he was coming back. The 1,600-year-old Apostles' Creed, most of you are familiar with it. it. It's widely accepted today as an authentic and comprehensive statement of what Christians believe. You're familiar with it. Right now, this morning, this very morning, churches all across this city repeat the creed. Some from memory, some put it on the screen and read it. But you're familiar with it, many of you are. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And the old English puts it this way, from thence he shall come to judge the quick, that would be the living, your quick, and the dead. So the ancient Creed declares that he's coming back. Rex, blogger Rex Hammock says this, says this. On the walls of most newspaper rooms I've visited over the years, there are displayed some framed front pages of issues reporting historic events. The term second coming type is the phrase, says, says Hammock, to describe large screaming headlines that dominate these framed mementos. So years ago, 
the words used to describe huge type, second coming headlines, second coming type. Here is my own personal example of second coming type. Now, unless you're right up front, you probably can't read this headline. What's it say? Earthlings on the moon. I bought that newspaper Monday morning, July the 21st, 1969, 50 years ago. I was only three years of age at the time, not quite, but <laughs> you know what the, the most shocking thing, what do you suppose, what do you suppose I paid for the newspaper? <laughs> Up just a bit. 10 cents. I don't know what the telegraph is today, but I do know this. It's more than 10 cents. Those headlines are three inches. If you've totally gone metric, just over seven centimeters tall. The name for those, begrudging, I think, the newspaper business years ago would refer to that size type as second coming type. It's, it's as if the newspaper business is acknowledging, begrudgingly perhaps, that if Jesus Christ were to come back, it would be huge news, thus second coming type. Are they admitting that perhaps he might come back? Many people, you know, do not believe that Jesus is coming back to this planet. Obviously, it's been true since century one because disciple Peter wrote in his second letter these words. First, I want to remind you that in the last days, I guess that would be now. I don't know if we're in the last of the last days, but we're in the last days. There will be scoffers who will laugh at the truth and do every evil thing they desire. This will be their argument. Jesus promised to come back, did he? Then where is he? Why, as far back as anyone can remember, everything, everything has it remained exactly the same since the world was first created. So yes, we have plenty of scoffers around. Some of them would even claim the name Christian who would say, oh, come on, really? C.S. Lewis, Oxford scholar and author of the Chronicles of Narnia books, says that there are several reasons why, listen to this now, believers doubt that Jesus is coming back. He says, and, and one of the main reasons he cites is this. He says that this teaching cuts across the plans and dreams of millions of people. Many people, believers now, don't want to be interrupted. Some people think like this. If I have saved all of these years to purchase a retirement place in Florida, looking over the ocean, and backing up on a golf course... Surely God wouldn't spoil all that by returning before I retire. Sadly, there are Christians who cherish their plans more than God's plans. But hear me this morning. Scoffers are not. Skeptics are not. I believe Jesus is coming back to planet Earth. Do you? Well, stay with me. That was very weak. Maybe by the end of the sermon, more of you will agree with me. Jesus' return to this planet is a subject that should be often on our minds. Do you think of it, at least on occasion? Does it occur to you? And should be occasionally 
taught in the church. Well, this Sunday, dealing with basic foundational truths that we hold near and dear, this day is such a day. So I want you to come with me now to Luke 17. Jesus is alone with his disciples. Now, I think the script will appear on the screen. So let's do it this way. I'll be even and you be odd. All right, here we go. Later, he talked again about this with his disciples. The time is coming when you will long to share in the days of the Son of Man, but you won't be able to, he said. For when the Son of Man returns, you will know it beyond all doubt. It will be as evident as the lightning that flashes across the sky. When the Son of Man returns, the world will be like the people were in Noah's day. And the world will be as it was in the days of Lot. People went about their daily business, eating and drinking, buying and selling, farming and building. Yes, it will be business as usual, right up to the hour when the Son of Man returns. Remember what happened to Lot's wife? That night, two people will be asleep in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two men will be walking in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Now let's take, over these next minutes, let's take a look at this scripture a little more closely to see some things that we need to know about his return. Here's the first. Jesus' return will be visible and it will be spectacular. Verse 24 that we just read says, you will know it beyond all doubt, saying that it will be visible as the lightning spectacular, it'll be spectacular, that flashes across the sky. Now, the first time Jesus came, you know the story, his coming was visible to a few shepherds from the nearby hills outside Bethlehem, and who knows, maybe a handful of villagers knew that a baby was born over there in a stable on the outskirts of Bethlehem, and who knows, Days or weeks later, no doubt, Mary and Joseph's family got to see the newborn. But most people, when Jesus came the first time, saw him and saw him as an infant or a toddler or a youth, had no clue who he was. But when he comes back again, 
it will be evident to everybody. The last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 7, puts it this way. Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven and every eye will see him. Hear me this morning. His return will be visible and it will be spectacular. Willow Ann and I were young marrieds. Uh, just that, yes, that would be just shortly after the dinosaurs became extinct on the planet. And we were traveling one night on what used to be called, don't even know if it's still there, the Coles Island Cutoff. If you were going to Moncton, you could take a bit of a shortcut through the woods. It was mid-January, and it was a cold, cloudless, and moonless night. And the sky over us began to change. Bright and then not so bright. Vivid colors, and the colors seemed to be rolling, changing. Now, we had heard of northern lights, but we had never, ever seen northern lights. And it was absolutely spectacular. And although the temperature was well below zero Fahrenheit, we stopped the car and got out and stood gaping, mouths open and gaping into the sky. It was an amazing sight. And we thought, at that moment, all those years ago, we thought this is it. This is the day that Jesus is coming back. Well, it wasn't. But hear me, when he comes, it will be visible like that. It, every eye will see him. It will be spectacular with the clouds of heaven. He will come. Here's the second thing I want you to notice from this passage. His return will be sudden and unexpected. His return will be so sudden and so unexpected. Verse 30, we just read it, says this. It will be business as usual. Suggesting what? That things will be going on as they always have gone on. No one expecting anything unusual right up to when the Son of Man returns. And there will be no advance notice. Steve Murphy on ATV at 6 will not be announcing Jesus Christ is expected to arrive today for the second time on planet Earth at 3 p.m. Eastern Time at the United Nations Building in New York City. CTV will carry the event live. Tune in here and we'll have reporters on site. Not going to happen. It will be sudden and unexpected, the scripture says. Two people will be asleep in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two people will be grinding flour together in the mill. One will be taken and the other left. It will be sudden and unexpected, without warning, and tragically unexpected by many but not by you. Some years ago, Billy Graham wrote these words. Many times when I go to bed at night, I think to myself that before I awaken, Christ may come. Dr. Graham expected it could be any time. Do you? It will be sudden and it will be unexpected. Here's the third thing I would have you notice from the scripture we just read. It will be wonderful and terrible. Wonderful for some. 
the most exciting, glorious event imaginable, terrible for others. For some people, it will be the horror of horrors, the end of all hope for some forever. Luke refers to this. He tells us that those for whom his return is wonderful, we just read it, are those in verse 33, whoever loses his life will save it. Jesus is saying here that whoever lives for me and lives for others will save his life. And then he also says those for whom his return is terrible, again in verse 33, whoever clings to his life will lose it. Whoever lives to himself or for himself, Jesus is saying will lose it all, will lose his life. Those for whom his return is wonderful, Revelation 22 and verse 20, the second last verse of the Bible records their response at his return. Come, Lord Jesus. Is that you? Those for whom his return is terrible, Revelation chapter 6 verse 16 says this about them. They cried to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne. Is that you? For you, will it be a wonderful day or a terrible day? Now, the last moments, the last few minutes of this sermon, I would like to answer a little different question. And here's the question. What are the implications of this great truth for you and I today? How should we respond, you and I, to this great and awesome truths of the scripture? Four things I want to say about that, and here's the first. Here it is. Number one, forget about the when. Just forget about the when. In this passage, the disciples hearing Jesus talking about the fact that he is going to come back, they say, Lord, where will this happen? And now as I studied this scripture, I came to this conclusion. Jesus' response to them indicates that what they were really asking was not the where will it happen, but what they really were asking is when will this happen? And on the occasion of Jesus' departure from the planet, the disciples again a little more boldly posed the when are you coming back question. Can I give you a loose translation of what Jesus said on that occasion? He said, it's none of your business. Just forget about it. Forget about the when. And yet, isn't it interesting? Down through the centuries and still today, you find devout Bible scholars who are totally obsessed with determining the when. In Britain and America in the early years of the 19th century, there was a tremendous interest in trying to work out the date of Christ's return. Many people in America around 1840 determined and fervently believed that 1844 was definitely the year of the second return of Jesus Christ. So many, met so many of them, now these are believers, were so convinced of the date that they paid off all their debts or they forgave all their creditors, they wound up their business affairs, they sold their homes, they gathered together and prayed, waiting, 
Some went to mountaintops, hoping for a head start on their friends. Others went to graveyards, so they would be right there with their loved ones. When their loved ones come out of the grave, they could depart with them. Others, Philadelphia society ladies, they say, clustered together outside town to avoid entering the kingdom with the common folk. Makes you wonder if they'd go at all. They long. But my point is, believers back in that day longed for the coming of Christ. They sat looking into the sky. They thought that any moment they would, there would be a flash of lightning and the Lord would appear in all his splendor to come down and take them to heaven. But it didn't happen. And, and at midnight, there was no cry. And when the cold streaks of dawn light showed themselves in the eastern sky the next morning. Do you know what that period of time in church history is referred to? It's referred to as the great disappointment. Forget about the when. They were wrong to try to figure out the when. I remember vividly, 31 years ago this year, sitting in my office down in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia, as I pastored the church there, I went through the mail, and one, I opened one piece of mail and there was a letter titled, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Christ Will Return in 1988. When I read through it and then deposited in my file, the circular one beside my desk, many of the people in my church also got that letter and asked me, Would I, was I going to give it some credibility? Would I address it? And I said, I am not, and as you well know, as we all know, sitting here this morning, 1988 came and went. Jesus did not return. He was wrong to do that. Hear me this morning. You can never work it out, no matter how many computers you have, no, no matter how brilliant you are, no matter how great a Bible scholar you are, no one will ever work out the date when Jesus Christ will return. So forget about the when. Here's number two. There are four responses to this great doctrine so forget about the when number two just be prepared just be prepared in our scripture the people in Noah's day the scripture says we're not prepared verse 27 and the flood came to destroy them all and in the days of Lot Abraham's nephew nephew verse 29 says then fire and burning sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. They weren't prepared. You know the name John Newton, author of the beloved hymn, Amazing Grace. He was a notorious sinner for much of his life. He was a, a ship's captain in the vile slave trade. But when he came to Jesus Christ and repented of his sin... Everything changed for John Newton. Shortly before his death, he declared, My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. That's all one has to know in order to be ready for Christ's return. Just be prepared. I do believe that one of the reasons that many so very many people still today are interested in the when is because if the when is 100 years from now, 
then the urgency to prepare is lessened. There's a fable which tells of three apprentice devils who were coming to this earth to finish off their apprenticeship. And so they were talking to Satan, the chief of devils, about their plans to tempt and ruin people. And the first one said, I'm going to tell people there is no God. Satan's response, that won't delude many, for people instinctively know down deep that there is a God. The second apprentice devil said, I'm going to tell I'm going to tell people there is no hell. Satan answered, you will deceive very few that way. People know down deep inside that there is a place of punishment for sin. The third apprentice speaks up and says, my plan is to tell people that there is no hurry. Go, Satan said, and you will ruin men and women and boys and girls by the thousands. The most dangerous response to the fact of Jesus' return to earth and the matter of our preparation is this. There's plenty of time to prepare. Just be prepared. So our four responses, forget about the when, just be prepared. Number three, shake a little salt, shine a little light. It's not in this Luke scripture that we just read, as you know. But over in the book of Matthew, Matthew says these words. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And I remind you again this morning that it is the business of our lives to shake a little salt and shine a little light. Many people today are mistaken about the vital and essential truths of the gospel. These past weeks, I've been reminding you, and have probably said, stated this truth in different words before, but here it is again. Many people think today, had a conversation this week with, with a lady that kind of, her, her feeling is that I'll take my chances because I've been a good person when I stand before God. Many people think that the basic truth of what the Bible teaches is this. Be good and one day God will welcome you into his heaven. But that really is quite the opposite of what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that you're not good. You're not and I'm not. But God sent his son to take the punishment for our sins. And if you put your trust in him, he will take away your sins. We need to shine that light. We need to shake some of that salt. So forget about the when. Be prepared. Shake a little salt. Shine a little light. And here's the last one. Just remember, just remember, he is coming back. He is coming back, you know. Never let this vital truth be far from your mind. Like Billy Graham when you put your head on the pillow at night, before you let sleep overtake you, think about it. Maybe today is the day. Maybe before I wake in the morning. Think about it. There is a woman who was buried under a 150-year-old live oak tree in a cemetery of an Episcopal church in rural Louisiana. In accordance with this woman's instructions, 
There's only one word carved on her tombstone, and it's this, waiting, dot, dot, dot. Is that you? Are you truly waiting? In just a few minutes, the service will end, and you'll go out the door. Let's just supposing today, you make your way towards the car, and you're beginning to move in the traffic out towards Coronation Court or down the hill onto Coronation Street. And as you're edging along, not much faster than a walk, you hear sound. It, it's, it's a magnificent sound. You've never heard anything quite like it. Is it, is it trumpets? It's beautiful. It's loud, it's alarming, and you stop. And as you stop, you notice all the cars ahead of you and in the parking lot behind you, the cars are all stopped. And doors are opening and people are getting out. Children are getting out. And everyone's standing by their car and, and heads are raised. And the clouds are rolling back. And then you realize it's today, it's him. This is the day he's coming back. So let me ask you this morning, how does that truth set with you? Will it be like that last, last, second last verse of the Bible? It says that believers will say, even so come Lord Jesus. But the Bible also says there will be some that it will be, oh no, not today what about you let's worship together